All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Bearded Advocate. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and today I am joined by Bridget. Thank you for joining me. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So go ahead and I guess give us a little quick rundown of who you are and what brings you here today. Sure. So my name is Bridget Kimsey. Um, my background is in integrative health. I'm also an author of three published books in nonfiction and um, currently working on my fourth and fifth book. I'm also a master of science um, a degree candidate in the study of astronomy and physics. So All yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it makes sense when you hear kind of the whole story, but, okay, but yeah, fair. yeah, for sure. So on top of that, what I guess are you affected by on a regular basis, diagnosis-wise or disability-wise? Because yeah, yeah. it's I always have to pick the right word because I don't like to say <laughs> diagnose. Right well, because if you're born with a disability, I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, you no. don't count. I'm like, oh. no. well, I'm I'm 48 years old, and I, you know, born into this body and brain and being and um, genetics and culture, and I didn't know what I was really dealing with for a long, long time. Um, so I'll just talk about things that came up. Um, I'll first, I guess, I'll start with sort of the diagnoses. The first one was. I guess it was, I was at New York University for my undergrad and I started having severe back pain. And I just found that very odd because I had been a professional dancer inside of ballet and jazz and modern and tap and a performing artist for, you know, um, since I was five and professionally since I was 13 years old. So it didn't make sense why 17, 18 years old, my back would start to just hurt. And it was like, oh, you have like, everyone has a, has a bad back in our family and blah. And I just, I was crippled by it. And it was very, it, it sent me into a very deep depression and um, I couldn't figure out I was given naproxen and I was, you know, degenerative disc disease. And I, I just, something in me just was like, I don't know. And I was on spring break and I, I live um, up near Hanover, New Hampshire. Um, so it's at Dartmouth College and I was in the Dartmouth bookstore, which is a lovely bookstore, no longer there, but, um, and there was like this, there was this beautiful like little alcove and it had like this light shining on it said healing back pain. And I was like, oh, it's <laughs> like, what's that about? And so I went over and um, it was from Dr. Johnny Sarno at the Rusk Institute at um, New York University. And I was like, oh, well, that's coincidence. That's very interesting. And so I started to read it and it really resonated with me about tension myositis syndrome. And I won't go into all the details about what tension myositis syndrome is. Um, but I read the book and within two weeks, I had no more pain. And I was shocked. I was shocked at how the brain and the body work, not in a psychosomatic way, but actually by wanting to, um, wanting sort of like if a mom has a new baby and they're all, they love the baby, but some part of them is like, oh, I'm so mad. This baby's waking me up in that anger of like, I'm so angry. Um, the, the, the subconscious and unconscious wants to squash that and creates an oxygen deprivation in a part of the body that then creates a sensation of pain. So it's different than just saying, I feel stressed and this is achy. It's an actual 
sub it's the unconscious, the subconscious and the consciousness working together to say the brain saying it is better for you to have physical pain than to actively feel like you want to kill your child. So, so the, so the mm -hmm. brain makes that decision. And I think consciously, most people would say, I would rather deal with my feelings than have this crippling pain. And so that was the beginning of my journey into really an, a, a huge break from my family in their belief um, a long history of all different kinds of disorders and mind saying, I just, I think there's a different way here. And I don't think it's based in something that is just psychological. I think it's really in how the mind body works. And so meeting Dr. John Sarno and working with him was really influential. He confirmed that diagnosis. And, you know, I was shocked because I've met a lot of people since I was, that was when I was 18, mm -hmm. who have, I think, TMS and, you know, you know, John Sarno went on to help Howard Stern and a lot of other people in New York City at that time. And he had 30 year history inside of back pain. So tension myositis syndrome was my first like, ding, 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 you know, like, like, I think that I'm either approaching things differently or my body and being works a little differently. I'm not really sure what's going on here. Um, later on, you know, sticking with just diagnoses that I've been working inside of, um, I was after a huge, a huge amount of shifting and just a lot like my whole life imploded in 2003, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder pretty severely to the point that I was confirmed disabled. And I really wanted to work. I'm a very hard worker. As you can see in my intro, I do do part-time work and, I, and I'm really in depth with the work that I do, but I do have a disability. And I just thought, well, I'll put in the work with CBT, DBT, I'll take some of this medication and I'll be done. Heal my brain, we're good to go. Later, I come to find out I actually have complex post-traumatic stress disorder that this started with trauma as a child that I didn't simple. really, yeah, that I really didn't understand that, that my brain had formed in a very trauma-filled domestic violence situation. And I was kind of blinded to it all. And um, so with having complex post-traumatic stress disorder, it was like, oh no, this is gonna be, oh, and this was confirmed. I really liked um, Dr. Bessel Vanderkoek, I think who is at the trauma center in Brookline, Mass. And I happened to be living and working in Boston at the time. And so I was able to work with his group there. And um, you know, at that point I was already well involved with integrative health and working in that. And uh, some good resources you know, in Massachusetts. Like she used to yeah. mostly lived up there. Yeah, no, Massachusetts is definitely amazing with the thing. I, I just I, I feel professionally and and just there's so much about Boston, except I really love being in nature. So being in the <laughs> wilderness in Vermont is more my speed. Oh boy. And, um, that's like the right. only part of Massachusetts that isn't nature is Boston. Right. Else, maybe Worcester. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I was around the Worcester area for most of. Oh. Yeah, mostly nice. growing up. I. I. Yeah. I mean, but really, it all came to a head. I think in two. So you know, these things. You know, TMS was first diagnosed in 1992, and then there was you know. I have been, I didn't know what I was dealing with when things, I didn't really understand, but I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD pretty severely and then complex PT, PTSD. And then around 2008, it started showing up about autism. And I was like, hell no. I was like, hell no. 
I just, hell no. I looked at that. I said, no, Oh boy. no, no, thank you. And, you know, I've done a lot of, I've been involved with a lot of outpatient treatment centers. I had to do when I first, when all the memories of trauma in 1994 really came up, I was hospitalized at NYU for about eight weeks. And I'm very thankful that at that time, back in the early nineties, having a longer hospital stay was very therapeutic, nurturing. There was no rush. It, they, they, they did lots of testing. I was fully of that. I know. And get, it, get the kicker because I was not a student, it was fully paid. Didn't pay a dime. God, I hated it. One in of the best, most comforting, kind hospitals for mental health. Had a really good experience, learned a tremendous about myself. And, you know, I know. And now what? I think about it where they push people through in like two days or people are in the ER for like days because there's no beds. And so. I'm just, yeah. So the time to have had that total, like, they were like, we didn't know what was going on with me. And um, it was a huge break from all the, all the stuff and all the trauma that I had buried. The um, diagnosis so rates are going up because of the hospital days. <laughs> Everyone's getting diagnosed with more because hospitals right. are just stressful. I know. And so to, I just am now like I'm floored because I realize I've been lucky. I've been lucky to know. Well, now it's more clear because, you know, hint, I am autistic. You know, I didn't, you know, oh, 2008, boy. when it started to come in, I was like, no, no, that's just trauma. I'm not. I'm <laughs> Nope. Not me. I'm, I'm laughing because I've talked to a lot of people that have like autism or ADHD right. or the combination of right. the two. And I'm right. like 95% sure I have ADHD and maybe, maybe a little bit of the autism as well, because they get right. diagnosed and misdiagnosed as each other. ADHD with the way I think is pretty much positive. I just got to go talk to somebody about it. But yeah, no, it's no, but it, you start but looking it, back at everything. You're like, maybe it wasn't because <laughs> I had a messed up you know fucked up childhood and I was all over the place and moving around and no and kind of makes sense but I think that when I look at my the neurodiversity in my mother's family is 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 huge there's so much dyslexia there's other I definitely ADD ADHD um we throw in some OCD we've thrown you know my mother Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I, I can't officially diagnose anyone you know but I can say that she is all the hallmarkers of someone with autism level one, definitely ADHD. And so it is hereditary. That, so it's a very, absolutely. it's a very common thing. Absolutely. And absolutely. that's, that's a lot of people don't realize like if, if a kid gets diagnosed with it, parents should mm-hmm. get tested too, because it's absolutely. a big factor. I mean, when I finally, so that was 2008 and it had come up repeatedly, like maybe you should be evaluated for me. And I was like, no, it's just trauma. I'm good. I'm good. And then finally, and then finally I found someone in, I had a really um, bad experience in 2019 um, with a very, I, someday, yeah, someday I will get the courage to write the board on this first clinician and what she said to me, but it took me two years to kind of um, sit with what she told me and finally tell my therapist and my psychiatrist, what was told to me. And they were horrified and they encouraged me to write to our board. And I just was like, I'm not there yet. Um, Mm. but at least by 20, I guess it was 2021. I was, I was bolstered enough 
to say, I want to try again with a different clinician who I feel like really understands autism and adult women. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And she was just like, really? <laughs> like she was just like, you really, she's oh, like off the charts on every, and this is someone who is not only, um, a physician, but is also a psychologist and it works with another MD. So it was like, I real for me, I really needed to have those hard diagnoses before I was comfortable coming forward. Mm -hmm. And so finally having that diagnosis as autism level one, was a huge relief, a huge weight off my shoulders because suddenly I felt like I found all my other little frogs in the forest. Like I, I, I mean, when one is a frog in the forest of a bunch of other Bambies and I don't know, raccoons, it, it can feel like, where do I fit? Like, well, I, you know, and I don't have, I don't have any other thing to compare it to nothing else to compare it to. And mm -hmm. so, um, I think part of the trauma Yes, there was abuse and things, but but the inability to socially understand what was happening a lot of the time also and, and, and becoming prey. I think female autistic young women um, who are, I don't want to say gullible, but they, they come off almost as naive and they might have big eyes and be very kind and sweet, you know, or what have you get really taken advantage of um, by a, a predatory nature and they don't really understand how to play the game. I'm not passive aggressive and very direct. Um, and I just got really already, already groomed to be taken advantage of by family members. I was then taken advantage of by greater community because they could, and I didn't see it. And I still have a hard time. I have to have, you know, I've done a lot of work to try to understand how neurotypical and the neurotypical world operates. Um, and it's, um, it, it's better, but I have to say, even at 48, I'm like, what you doing over there? I don't get, but at least I go talk with my other neurodiverse friends or, you know, autistic friends. And we're like, I'm like, oh, totally get it. We're like right in sync with each other. And it's so, you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it, it was like a door opened for me of just light and energy and just feeling a lot more at ease. And the next thing that you know, I, I, I know the next thing <laughs> while this was sort and of then, coming out, then. you know, my whole health kind of had been, I've always had gut health issues and I've always like a lot of people who are autistic have gut health issues. So I was like, oh, I have gut Those health issues too. Things linked together. Well, there's inflammation. We, we can't clear toxins and inflammation as easily as other people. A lot of the times people who are autistic have oh. different mutations genetically. Like I have a double MTHFR mutation. I have some mutations that are so common in my brain and in my DNA. Um, I know that. And that okay. makes it so that my gut health, brain gut health doesn't, does and resonating with you. Is this it? <laughs> Are you thinking of? Okay, I'm just getting diagnosed in podcasts. Others. The what? Uh, <laughs> so I'm just getting diagnosed in podcasts. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, no, because no, I have, I I have mean, severe colitis, which is inflammation, and I fall in yes. the severe category because you know my body's yes. always inflamed. It's like, yes. man, you know what? This no, is making too I, much sense. I, I, I think that I handled with my gut health stuff. My dad died when he was 59, and. um he gotten really, you know, he, I'm pretty sure he had Crohn's disease undiagnosed. He refused to get colonoscopy. He refused any of that. And, um, so funny, you know, that, that's, right? that's what happens, you know, like if you don't, if yeah. you don't get, and I mean, but, but to be fair, 
did we have biologics then? Did we have budesonide? Did we have some of these treatments that we have now and information? Did we have it back then? No, so, we've always I had. <laughs> Needs always been there. Yes, yeah, and that's interesting it. because my dad really, <clears throat> really loved marijuana. <laughs> you know, like this was, of course, the I was born in seventy three. He was a young. He was in his. He was twenty one or twenty two. So you know. Um, I remember stumbling into plants being grown in the closet and wondering why they were in the closet. So yeah, my dad um, is an interesting fella, but um, but yeah, he uh, he had just and we, he was he, around. He always just talked up to stress, you know. And I think for me, I would that's where the TMS can get weird. Like, okay, you know, maybe this is just like a reaction to stressful life or stress and not being able to digest food and all these issues. But finally in 2021, it really came to a head of, of, um, of having, you know, just multiple skin itchy rashes, breaking out all the time, having a high ANA, having a positive ANA, having a high C-reactive protein, all pointing to more inflammation, mm -hmm. gut health, severe bone and joint issues. And my doctor was just like, what is going, you know, we first thought it might be lupus, um, but it turns out that um, I have not only a Lyme infection, but also a chronic Lyme infection, as well as Crohn's disease. And I was just uh, floored. I was like, Crohn's? Are you kidding <clears throat> me? And yep. I mean, I honestly, I, I wonder if I'm actually, at the end of the day, I'm actually dealing with lupus. I, I you know, I, that is a sneaking suspicion that I have but it hasn't advanced far enough, you know, and I, and I get concerned. I mean, I think everyone who has healthcare is, you know, issues is, is like, how far do you take something? Do you let it just keep progressing? Because that's the only option and testing we have for something like lupus. I figure when the time is right, it'll, it'll let me know. Um, <laughs> for now I'm well, on a low. I mean, inflammation wise, <clears throat> inflammation wise and, and, Going back to the, I guess, the mental and the stress level of it. So <clears throat> one of the big things with the digestive tract that a lot of people don't realize is your brain has the most nerve connections with your digestive tract and your gut in general. So things like stress, um, your brain actually has a massive impact on gut health, which is why stress is so impactful on your gut health. If you have something like Crohn's or colitis, stress plays a massive role and you really have to get good at managing it. Um, and on the inflammation aspect, yes. I mean, it would make sense. Joints, um, your eyes will generally change a lot when you're having a flare-up with Crohn's or colitis. And then you can have a, a flare-up of Crohn's and colitis because inflammation in the body is inflammation. Your body doesn't really care where it is. Once you start to kind of flare up in general and have large amounts of inflammation, your body's just like, okay, it's going to be everywhere. So if your Crohn's yeah. or colitis gets bad enough and flares up, you can start to have like acute arthritis where your joints will actually get really bad because yeah. it's the inflammation is kind of pouring over, not just from your digestive tract, it's pouring into your joints, which is another point where you generally have inflammation in the body. And if you're in a bad enough flare up, it actually can cause inflammation in your eyes in usually a more subtle way. It's not as noticeable. Um, it was just something I noticed a lot the first couple of years I had colitis because I was in really bad flare up. Cause I have severe colitis. I was just burning through prescriptions. So I would go through a prescription like every six months, whereas normally I wouldn't have to change it, but you know, every two to three years of that.
Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, wow. it's a big, mental I mean, health is a big still, factor I mean, on certain still, things. It takes me time. I'll honestly, I mean, the TMS, I was pretty much on board right mm -hmm. away because it made sense. The PTSD, I fought. I was just like, no, even though everyone around me saw it. And I, I, I just find it really challenging to understand here I am, you know, I'm just, fin you know, I, I'm, I'm an author. I, I write in these really intense topics. Um, I've done amazing work inside of oncology care for 15 years. I've been in healthcare for 28 years. I mean, my work with Sarno sort of led me deeper into integrative health and um, as well as being bicultural and biracial. Um, and I know I'm very Irish looking. My father and is Lenape Indian out of Oklahoma. So I'm part of the Delaware nation. So I'm both a US citizen and a Lenape Indian of the Delaware tribe and was really raised by native elders for the latter part of my teenage years and early adulthood years. I lived at the American Indian Community House in New York City. And um, they had a huge impact on direction for my life and for me getting really real with what was going on with me. It was the first time I had a social worker adult children of alcoholics group, you know, like all these wonderful, helpful, healthy inducing tools. And also just this really radical acceptance of whoever I am and whatever I'm dealing with, which was foreign coming from a culture that was so like, um, you know, focused on what's your job, how much money do you earn? What can you show off about who you are? I think we've changed some, you know, but that's still a, oh, I don't know. At least there's a little know. bit more dialogue about My it. generation. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see, well, to be determined. Well, I will see the native culture and the dominant culture in the US are very different in how they operate. And having that influence has been a big healing force. And the elders there really, help me go forward with looking at how to include um, native values in science and so and healthcare. And so that's what I've sort of been dedicating my life to, not purposefully. It just sort of seemed what I wanted to do before. Yeah. Hey, it just sort of happens. So so I say it a lot and and it's something I kind of coined on the uh, the podcast. And it's that pain puts things into perspective and oh, that perspective can yeah. give you a purpose. Yes. Well so. I mean I think what you mentioned about you know, even though I'm a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, massage, medical massage, Reiki master, um, Joe Ray, and a physics-based energy medicine work, and even though my study inside of um, cancer cells has led me deeper into physics and in understanding physics, which has led us me more into how our universe operates and how that translates for matter, such as the molecules in our body, um, it's stressful. And I have to say, having that nice autistic brain, which I am, you know, I'm autistic. I don't have, you know, I, I am, I don't, I'm not inflicted by some disease, but I have to take consideration that if my body is breaking down, what's the message? What's the, what needs to change in my life? Where, where is the, so something that has come up that again, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'll address that a few years later is, is for women inattentive ADHD and that women, adult women don't necessarily present as ADHD, like a young lith 13 year old boy. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I feel like finding those clinicians that will work and understand that if I already have autism, if I'm already autistic, with alexithymia, meaning that I'm really good at masking what's going on with me because of trauma and fear. 
Um, I'm also really good at hiding how my brain actually operates, which is pretty wild. So, so it's, so I think that that oh. might be the next piece that I eventually, but I'm still trying to accept that I have Crohn's to the point that when I finally got to the IBD specialist at the hospital, they were just like looking at it and they were like budesonide and my insurance wouldn't cover it. And so we, we let it. So they were like, no. Budesonide. Budesonide, right. Have you tried budesonide? Or? I've never even heard of that one. Never heard, okay. No. So for Crohn's, like it's world. just, it, it's a very localized steroid to help okay. um, with the inflammation. But she, but they were like, and put it didn't slap you on prednisone. That's usually the go-to. No, I know it's the, it's the, it's less than prednisone. It's not as they knew I wouldn't do prednisone. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, prednisone it was not is... going to happen. It's nasty shit. Oh, right? you want to talk about broken not, bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, but put it this way. So when I went in for the colonoscopy, it was the last thing to try to figure out what autoimmune condition I had. I'm already on a histamine intolerant diet. I'm already like giving myself Reiki each day. I'm already like, like I'm, I'm throwing at it what I holistically can. So there's like, how can there be any inflammation in my body? I mean, I'm serious. Like histamine intolerant. We are stepping up the game from anti-inflammatory. We are like knocking out any possible point of there. No mast cells can have any influence. Like, no. So she goes in and she thinks it's going to be regular colonoscopy as do I. And then there's like this, there's, I'm half awake, you know, you're sort of sedated, you know, colonoscopy for anyone. Oh, who's absolutely not. <laughs> right? Absolutely right. not. I get, I, I'm just like, I'm out. It's fine. I, I don't mind. I don't mind being partly awake. So I mind as... it more than I much more than that wonderful, like five minute nap that it feels like, because not, not the loopy <laughs> stuff that they give people, the one where they you have to actually have an esthetician for, but they inject no, no, it. I the out, stuff. No, and no. they wake you up. That nap is phenomenal. So that's just, that's just me. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh shit. So I'm like, this is going to be a regular thing. So she's, 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 they're moving through. And then I hear this, this sucking in a breath. And I was like, oh shit, that's not good. And then the <laughs> whole freaking like people are flying around the room. They're getting biopsy. Like they're totally unprepared. They take like all these biopsies, like everything gets very serious. I'm like, oh shit. And I'm like half out of it. So I'm like, oh, that's not good. That is not good. Like, I'm like, oh no, this is bad. And I'm like, I'm like, try not to and like and like this is very interesting scientifically i go right into like my science mode instead of being like this is bad this is not good news Bridget. but i'm just like we've just been through a pandemic we've been through like 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 honestly i was like i i only i i got nothing do what like, you got whatever it is whatever so she so when she comes back she's just like she's like i think you have crohn's disease and I was like, but I'm not a, I said, I don't mean to be rude or racist. I said, I'm not a Jewish white male. Like I, I that's what my perception of consciousness was. Drastically that changed. Surprisingly. Yes. So yeah. when I got diagnosed, that was, if you were a white male. Was that your, yeah. It was like, it, when I got diagnosed, it was like 70, 30, like 70% of the stuff was men and you were either a yes. teenager or you were yes. 50. That was it. Yes. That exactly. was it. Now it's 50, 50. It is 50, 50. What do you think has changed? Do you think it's, do you think, do you think it's a stress level? Do you think it's what people's eating? Do you think it's something? That it's so for me, I think it's a mix of stress eating 
and culture, none of which are conducive to mental health and, you know, mental health as a whole. So <clears throat> mine's hereditary. So it was pretty straightforward where I got it from. When I got diagnosed, it was either teenage years or when you were 50 ish, you know, late forties, early fifties. Um, now it is kids, teenagers, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, like you can get diagnosed at any point at any, any age. There's really not a, a cap on it or a specific zone. Um, it used to be more, you got it when you were older because your life was rather simple and you didn't have any large event that triggered it. So for me, I got food poisoning at 17 food poisoning, put enough of a stress on my digestive tract where it brought the colitis out. And I've been dealing with colitis since then. Um, is there any, is there any way that you could have, that you've ever been in remission or think that you could go into remission or we, that's, that's probably the only thing that wouldn't require an active medication that could put me into remission just because right now I get an infusion of Remicade every six weeks. Um, the infusion keeps me fairly normal. Um, not perfect, but I don't want to bump my dosage up and I really don't want any other medications because the side effects are gross. I know. I know. Um, most of which affects mental health and depression to some degree. Yeah. Um, from the cases that I've followed in some of the studies that have come out of places like Colorado and some of the other like uh, Western states that have been more liberal with medicinal marijuana, um, not even the aspect of smoking it, but for a lot of people, CBD oil paired with a small yes. amount of THC oil in capsules two to three times a day, usually eight to 10 parts CBD to one part THC, so you don't even get mm -hmm. high off of it has right. been treating and maintaining a lot of people that have the severe to extreme Crohn's and colitis, as well as people that fall in the you know, mild to moderate. And because of the dosage and the ratios, you don't actually get high from it. And right, then right. for people that have like flare-ups, you have a higher dosage that's say six to eight parts to two to three parts THC. Mm -hmm. And you take it at night when you're sleeping. So by the time you wake up, you're not actually high from it. So you can still function as a normal human being throughout the day. Um, that's really promising for a lot of people and both the cost of infusions being around for me, $8,000 in infusion every six weeks, if you don't have um, insurance, which is always a concern because you know, if you change jobs or something gets messed up with your insurance, you got to pay out of pocket. Um, but the paired with the lack of side effects, because it's a, it's a plant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. okay, if you go with the heavy THC, you get high, which mm -hmm. still really not bad side effects. I mean, right. my bones are all jacked up because I was on too much prednisone at the highest point. It was at 100, mil, 100 milligrams. I've, I've just yep. seen people, I mean, I've worked I on sweats, people who have breaking out from it, yeah, um, the depression, suicidal thoughts, like all of the stuff that goes along with it. I mean, one of my medications a lot of my hair fell out. So I just had to shave my head and grow a beard. Um, but you, you don't get all those side effects with a plant. No. Um, and unfortunately we have Nixon to thank for I know. not being able to use it. Um, but no, when it comes to Crohn's and colitis and, and the digestive tract, there's like a few main factors. Diet, you know, your diet's a massive factor. Um, so things that you eat can definitely inflame it and cause extra stress on your digestive tract. Then you have the stress factor. So, you know, how much stress is being introduced to you on a regular basis and how well you can manage it or maintain it. Now, 
I think over the years, I'm much better at managing stress and mm -hmm. I don't really let a, thing, a lot of things affect me. And I understand that a lot of stress factors that come along with a chronic illness or disability are mostly mm -hmm. temporary. Whether yeah. it's a temporary condition, you know, if you're if you're working through something with your doctor or medication or financial thing, you know, expenses, it's usually a temporary thing that it works towards and, and eventually resolves itself. Um, then there's those permanent factors that you really just can't do much with that take a while to process, and you know, there's a whole grieving process and, and acceptance stage of the limitations that you have. <clears throat> but I think, especially for the younger generation, um, I think there's a ton of social aspects that are playing into chronic illnesses and a lot of the more common um, diagnosis that we have nowadays. So what do you mean? Socially, um, I mean, so I, I usually more focus on it on the dating aspect because dating in my generation is just a dumpster fire. Um, oh, because God, everybody's yeah. throw away and, you know, throw away and try again, or you have like too many they, options. Like, this typing, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no, you know, there's no reason to put in effort because you can just move on to the next person. You have all these options available at your fingertips in the form of a phone. And I think that has larger implications than just, Hey, dating sucks. I think it comes down to, okay, <clears throat> there's this giant level of anxiety and stress related to it because of all the issues that are involved with it and not even just just the dating aspect of just general friendships and relationships all yeah, around yeah, yeah. So just the connecting with community yes. itself finding your 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 point of focus and anchoring for sure so there's there's so many people that are just like okay move on to the next thing i'm just let me use somebody to grow or gain an advantage from and move on to the next and just keep moving on to the next um and it's more of a social status and what you can achieve than mm. actual connection and yeah, 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 yeah. at a oh, face yeah. value i mean I, I i see why people do it because of the growth financially or you know social media following whatever and that may be i guess rewarding to a certain extent but i think in the long-term aspects of it there's no trust there's no you know close circle that people are allowed to have so everything's fake and I've, it's got to be well, you, a and you stressful of, and loneliness you think of the the colon and you think of that area is the rootedness into the earth and if you don't feel like you can anchor or know where your place is and it's constantly kind of in flux and you know with the brain and the gut it, it, well, and, it can be hard and being i mean being part of that society and that kind of culture in general if you're the one doing it as well, there's got to be that kind of subconscious knowledge of, okay, well, if I'm just using people to use people, when you do get to that point where you want a good group of surrounding people, yeah. are you ever able to actually relax because you know you found them or you know what everyone's like because you've been part of it? Right. Are they just, just this, that, yeah, this yeah. level of disconnect? And I mean, I've always had a small social circle because mm -hmm. I've moved around a ton. I mean, I'm 28 and I just made my sure. 22nd move of my life. Oh, wow. So I'm used to moving around a lot. So I have a really small social yeah, yeah. circle and I have some really good people in it. Don't get me wrong. I do a lot of gaming. So I connect really well with people yeah. from, you know, a bunch of different places. And I meet some really cool people through here in general. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big factor in general. Um, just the social aspect and the way socializing's changed over the years. I think it, it might not be as big of a focus, but I think it definitely has be interesting to play. To see, yeah. And it would be interesting to see 
in a social behavioral health research study, what there, what, what, uh, there's got to be something in PubMed or that's being worked out in some country, if not <clears throat> our own, that's really looking at that examination. You can, you can look at, so I look at a lot of other countries and one of the countries I like a lot in general, both from my hobbies on the side, from like photography and being just nerdy in general to the actual healthcare side of it. Japan is a very interesting example mm -hmm. that I like to look at all the time because they have an incredible healthcare system, but they also have an overly healthy population compared to yes, the United States. Yep. And if you look at the culture and the food and the focus, it mm. is very, very different. There is a national culture on health <clears throat> and they treat different things very differently. There's a very different social environment and culture environment mm. that yes. focuses on better relationships, um, both with family and, you know, your friends or coworkers in general. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see kind of just how different things are around the world based yeah. on culture and, you know, food culture comes mental health. So it's okay. There's a certain level of hereditary. And I mean, if you look at the United States compared to Europe, for example, the amount of food that we're allowed to have here, here that's banned in half of European I know. countries. Yes, and chemicals. That's sure. got to play a role in it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's all these big factors. And then you start looking at things like the um, rate of maturity in mm. younger females because of the hormones that they put in food and how that's changing yep. and, and females are you know maturing at least body-wise a hell of a lot younger than they used to yeah um, very well studied it's food i know i'm doing that no i mean i think that that all of that i think that was my reticence of of being like i don't i still don't know i'm still like on the even a though, bunch of factors even and even though i'm i'm now on i had my first infusion of stellara a few mm -hmm. weeks ago and um it you know within two weeks you know it really made i could feel the difference already it it's it, it's it's struggling again because i had to take a different antibiotic for the lime mm -hmm. but i will say the biggest factor that has helped has been this histamine intolerant diet or following a mast cell activation syndrome. Um, and that changed everything for me, but that's a canary in the coal mine. I don't, I wasn't born with a reaction to histamines or mast cells being out of control and inflamed. So and it's not a long-term solution, but at least in, in this interim, as I figure out what's actually happening, I'm not in pain all the time. Funny enough. Crohn's and colitis um, generally don't like a super overly healthy diet. Interesting. <clears throat> so it's it's a really common thing. And if you if you start looking through a lot of the Crohn's and colitis groups, um, mm -hmm. you'll start to notice it with people that are having conversations when you talk about what food causes triggers and what type of food doesn't. So mm -hmm. a very common thing for people that have moderate to more severe Crohn's or colitis is you start to have really weird foods that work in which ones don't and i mean that in the sense of what's normally considered healthy you know normally yeah. what's considered healthy is your whole foods super organic <clears throat> raw vegetables you know every everything is nice and farm to table is you right. know the healthier you right. can get the better whether you grow it yourself or fully organic that yeah. doesn't always work with Crohn's or colitis especially when it comes to vegetables now Fast food is generally looked at as a negative thing, super unhealthy, and in a way it always is because of the, you know, the, the fat 
um, and the way that they stack sugar. So it's not great for your body in general. However, for Crohn's and colitis, it is easier to digest because it is already processed food. Yeah. It's yeah. already processed. Your body doesn't have to break it down because it's already right. at a fundamentally basic level. It has a really right. easy time already breaking it down because it's pre-processed before, you know, it's kind of like if you put your food in a blender, you, you don't have to do as much work. Yeah. Your body doesn't have to do as much work. Whereas right. things like raw vegetables, whole grains, like <clears throat> rices, like uh, brown rice compared to white rice is harder to break down. It's better for you, right. but generally better for your digestive health, but your, your digestive tract has to work harder, which right. in a way stresses it out. Maybe not the traditional stress that you would think. So it can cause flare-ups. So it's, right. it's an interesting, it's an interesting balance. And, and there's a lot of people in the group and, and I've definitely been there. It's, it's incredibly frustrating because um, say you start to try, you know, you're trying to save money. Maybe you're doing, um, meal prep and you're like, okay, let me do this, this, and this it's healthy. And then you eat it for a week and now you're in a flare up because it was too healthy or it was too many of the same vegetables, or you have to, you know, really have to limit things too. And right. it's, it's interesting. And no, I definitely I've, see a lot I've, of people complaining about it. I've definitely seen that. And, and people, I heard people talking about that. I, again, having only been diagnosed the end of December and here we are the middle of end of March, you know, it's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And I think there's a pushback of, of, of wondering, you know, what, what is, what's going on, what's actually happening, what's going on here, what needs to change in my life? Can I make any changes that would make this better? And I, and I will say that, you know, it's much easier being a clinician or a healthcare provider than being the patient. I've walked through many people's journeys with them with cancer. And um, it's a lot easier doing that than being the patient and especially navigating the healthcare system, which this is the first time in a long time I've really had to navigate the system. And because of being, you know, it is embarrassing to say that I'm on disability. I don't, I don't like that. Um, but because of the PTSD and because I'm still trying to feed you know, my, the, with autism, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to be mindful of how I operate and how much work I can realistically do and what I can't do. So what I'm getting at is that I have universal healthcare coverage. I have Medicare and Medicaid. I have very, very good healthcare coverage. And this journey still sucks because oh. there are so many doctors who say so many different things mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who's trying to sell me a bill of goods and who's really on the money and who's not following through enough and who has an interest and who's burnt out. It's just, it's just such a crapshoot of what you actually get and who you get. Um, so I, I do try to take it two steps forward, one step back and try not to, you know, because for a long time I was told I was pre-diabetic. And I was like, I finally pushed back and said, I really want to sit down with an awesome endocrinologist and get to the bottom of it. And finally they figured out there's nothing wrong. You're not even close to being pre-diabetic. We don't know why your A1C numbers are pre-diabetic levels. We don't, we don't, the A1C test doesn't work for you. So that's off the table. And there's, and, and, and there's so many other physicians who will push back on that. No, no. And I'm like, look, I went to one of the top endocrinologists in my state. He is saying, throw the A1C out for whatever the reason doesn't work for my body. We want to call it whatever we want to call it. It's mm -hmm. not accurate. And that's, that was, that, that was years of being 
hammered about exercising more or doing this or doing that and got to keep those numbers low. Are you going to turn into having diabetes and just this fear? And, and, it, and it turned out if they had just done a little bit more exploration, like the really slow labor intensive glucose monitoring, blah, 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 they would discover there's nothing wrong with my glucose blood levels. We don't know why they're high. The test doesn't work. Everything has come that down takes, to labs and tests. And that that's more why <laughs> it does. It takes more time and it's mm. more money because we're running four or five tests and it isn't a simple blood draw. Mm -mm. And I, 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 I feel like nowadays more has come down since I've been in healthcare for 28 years and my family is all in healthcare, um, either as an educator, professor, scientist, researcher, psychiatrist, or you know any number of healthcare roles. Outpatient. Outpatient, right? <laughs> yeah, outpatient. Um. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I think of the care I got at NYU, you know, in the early 90s was so that that set the stage for me of really ground, you know, so and I just think of people like if I were in my 20s, and I didn't have that, what would I be like now in my 40s or going, you know, like, it would be bad. So I think that the concern of always relying on these numbers or inflammation markers, or, I mean, that's why I kind of I don't know. I'm still wondering about Crohn's. I understand I'm on a biologic, but I don't have the typical symptoms of Crohn's disease. Um, I, so it makes me wonder. It's what definitely kind of... not this, but I mean, the Crohn's, the Crohn's they understand as a whole body kind of thing. Um, but it's like- So Crohn's and colitis are, they both get lumped under irritable bowel disease. And right. the big difference between Crohn's and colitis, colitis is localized to your large intestine mm -hmm. colon, specifically mm -hmm. the end of your digestive tract, whereas right. Crohn's can show up anywhere in your entire digestive tract. So anywhere right. from your mouth all the way to the end of your digestive tract. So stomach, throat. Crohn's is generally considered uh, more painful and a faster reacting because of where it is. So your average Crohn's in your average colitis case, Crohn's is usually worse. Mm -hmm. um, because foods react faster if it's in your stomach or your throat, things can be a right. lot more painful right. because of the location. Whereas colitis, it's generally end of your digestive tract. So there's a lot of pain associated with it if you have a bunch of active ulcers because it's stomach acid, which can also affect, you know, Crohn's if you actually have a stomach ulcer, which my understanding is incredibly not fun. Yeah. Um, but it also does depend on where you fall on the scale. So Crohn's and colitis are rate, rated from mild all the way up to extreme. <clears throat> I personally fall in the severe category, which is classified usually on the coverage or area in Crohn's case of where your ulcers are. In my case, my large intestine and colon, I get about 86% of it completely covered in ulcers when I'm in a full flare-up. Um, that's where the kind of severe rating came from. And someone on my end that has severe you don't generally have like flare-ups that go away. You have flare-ups that you have to get under control and then you have your normal like out of mm -hmm. control colitis in general. Whereas mm -hmm. people that are on the mild side of both Crohn's and colitis, they may have um, some maintaining drugs that they use every once in a while, maybe like a basic daily medication that they take. And then they have flare-up medication that they take specifically if they have a flare-up, gets them back down into their either maintainer or sometimes just no medication whatsoever and then they use it as needed. So it's it's a very, very wide range when it right. comes to irritable bowel disease. And within irritable bowel disease, you can have 10 people that have colitis, that have mild colitis, mm -hmm. that have the same general diagnosis. 
and their treatment plans are completely different. Their diets are completely different. What flares up one person diet wise might be safe for another person. Right. And for the most part, it actively changes over it. So over the 11 years that I've had colitis, what food I can and can't eat has changed. I've had things that were safe for eight years and then magically one day it can cause a flare up. Alcohol is a great example. Um, over COVID, they were doing a lot of the like, you know, you can grab alcohol to go, go to a Mexican place, you can grab a margarita, <laughs> like, you know, you just grab it to go, take it home, no big deal. And I grabbed a margarita from one of the Mexican places I go to a lot and had it before. It was never an issue. I had half of it and I was in a flare up for like five days straight. I almost had to go to the hospital. And it was something that was always never a problem. And it was, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It wasn't mixed right. You know, it tasted like it should have. And it's alcohol. So it's not like it was bad so food you, or something. So what do you think is going on with that? What is your exploration investigation into that matter? Like, what do you think? I always think of like other countries, like what they're discovering in Israel or what they're discovering in Germany or Switzerland or, you know, other countries. Is there any country that's doing more in-depth study of what's really behind this? Because I feel like irritable um, bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia, I see a lot of connection with tensiomyositis syndrome. I know that Dr. Sarno worked with people who had TMS and fi fibromyalgia, he considered just an advanced form of TMS. And mm -hmm. he worked, I saw enough people go through his treatment facilities that responded really well. Um, but then when you get into things such as irritable bowel disease or cancer or things like that, you have both going on. You have that, of course, the levels of stress are not helpful, but now you have a formal disease process that mm -hmm. is formally marked. I bring you back into labs. Yeah. You know, you, you, you your body's attacking itself. Like. Exactly. You, you, you can work with natural. I think that's what, like when they opened up, I mean, they, they opened up my guts, but then they opened up and looked inside and they were, they were alarmed. They were like, this is moderate to severe. You don't have ulcers at this point. You don't have any strictures, but we are really pretty freaking close and you need to be on something tomorrow. And I was like, well, my insurance was giving me a lot of pushback on budesonide. And I was like, oh, I can wait the six weeks to see the specialist IBD. But literally two weeks before I saw him, everything shut down and I really couldn't eat anymore. And I was just in shock. Like, how did I go from being like managing this to suddenly I can't get food to digest in my belly? Like I could eat small little meals. I mean, I'm, and then when they do the, the pro, pro anyway, the calprotectin or something, yeah, it, it measures, right. It measures the, something in the stool, it measures inflammation was lower. He's just like, huh. And I'm like, you know, some of my proactive, like histamine intolerant diet and yoga and meditation. These are all wonderful, but they're also, I feel like sometimes allowing me to fly under the radar and things are getting markedly worse, but because of the way diagnostic tools are being done here, I don't fit into the normal category. So I may have a stronger disease process that will just flip quickly and we have like no warning. And so that's a bit of a red flag for me because I do things to help manage it that are more natural. I don't fit into the standard, you know, of what they're used to seeing. And they don't have a lot of wiggle room because they only have this amount of time to see me. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like, oh no. So, I mean, one of, one of the big things is both Crohn's and colitis, it's, there's not necessarily like for everybody, a specific start point. So it's, it's very common to have a large event that can 
start it because it puts so well your body's either under stress or your gut's under stress or you're mentally under stress that can that can kind of cause it to come out um it really depends on i guess the source of it like mine's hereditary so it's kind of just been there waiting it's like hey yeah, surprise we're wait, here. waiting for you yeah like <laughs> hey <laughs> surprise um in the box. <clears throat> but for people that you know whether mm. it's not hereditary or they don't have a, a family history of any sort of gut disease or issues it could be i mean it usually comes back to some large event that's usually what it is because it's it's just how much your digestive tract reacts to stress either it's digestive stress in the form of you know food poisoning or getting sick of some sort um I mean, I know COVID was bringing out a lot of underlying condition, mm -hmm. uh, for conditions people. for people. Yeah. So that's yeah. that put just the whole body stress and your, your immune system just focusing so much on, on a certain condition or, you know, virus. Or... I, I mean, I started having the positive ANA test um, after the birth of my first child, which was 2011. And I started having the food allergies and they started saying, oh, well, that's just that's just um, hormone changes, hormones. And I was like, I don't know, I'm actually having an allergic reaction to these foods. And we were able to figure that out, but you know, it just progressively from 2011 to now, it just progressively kept getting worse and worse, like the, the joint pain. And so I went on an anti-inflammatory diet and like I, I kept doing all these different tricks and things to try to help. Um, well, yes, being under enormous amounts of stress. I mean, that has been a hallmark of, I think, you know, there's a reason why the, my life expectancy is 58, um, because of the autistic for autistic people, our life expectancy is 58 years old. If you have intellectual disabilities, which I'm, I am glad that I don't have, but I also respect that there are people who do and are wonderful, amazing humans. Um, and many ways, um, their life expectancy is 35. What's going on, you know, and I, I now understand being here 48, how I could see my body just gives out because, um, you know, I started having non-epileptic seizures um, uh, two years ago and I had talking about marijuana, um, you know, I had worked on a on lot of, <laughs> it is, no, I've worked with, I've, I've, I, I respond extremely quickly to plants mm -hmm. and um, have always had a deep, especially in the native culture, like peyote and other things, you know, a very, a very reverence to plants and how to work with plants from a native point of view. And so marijuana is seen as a very sacred plant. And so when I would have clients coming to me who are either going through cancer treatment or post-concussive disorder or MS or um, any number of ailments and their doctors, we have a really wonderful medical marijuana dispensary here in Vermont. Um, we have mm -hmm. really, really wonderful growers, really just amazing both from a CBD as well as really, really, um, just, just lovely people and incredible, just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's really, really nice. Um, and, you know, I, it was finally my psychiatrist that was like, we had tried different things and nothing was working. And she was like, well, why don't we try medical marijuana? And I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> and now, and now, and now, I don't know, you know, right. So no, so I do have, but well, because I think of being in integrative health and being 
inner, I work, um, you know, I, I talk about it in my books and how I work with people with Reiki third and fourth dimension. I have enough problems with navigating reality. I don't need anything. I don't, I've never done yeah. drugs. Like you, know I mean? like, yeah. uh, you know, so I, I was very cautious about, but I had been working for so many years with people who were using this plant and using it in a respectful, mindful way and really getting to know the folks at the medical uh, marijuana dispensary, actually helping their growers with some aches and pains they were having. From and they're all having a lot of heart stuff because it's such mm -hmm. a powerful plant. How do they help them decompress at the end of the day? Um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, you know, either moving from Charlotte's Web to um, an indica strain, sometimes a sativa, but mostly, you know, getting, and getting very particular now of what I like, what I don't like at night and using CBD during the day and using a bit of, um, of in, usually indica, but I, I'll, I'll mix it up, you know, and um, just being fascinated, being really fascinated. It's been the one thing that has helped my brain and body and being calm. So then when I start the next morning, I'm at like, I'm good, you know, and it's really, um, I'm excited for more research coming out in regards to PTSD about what they're doing in Israel, because I think that there might be a strain that could help with you that too, without being, yeah. The second person that's mentioned Israel, I had a lady yes. on last night that was actually amazing. talking about how there's a ton of studies over there that we generally amazing, ignore. Amazing work <clears throat> happening over there. And I, um, you know, I don't know. It was a slow walk towards understanding the importance. I'm like, I've already, I've always worn hemp clothing, hemp protein powder, hemp oil. Um, hemp has been part of my life for a long time, um, but I've known how powerful it is. And I was like, well, when there comes a time that the plant and I need to work together more strongly, that will happen. But I also don't want people to think that because of the work that I do multidimensionally inside of hospitals and working on really tough cases that I'm, I've gotten there by doing drugs. And it just, it's, um, and, and that's not, and that's not, I know. Right. And that's thank not Nixon for that one. So I know it's just, but it's, but it's, um, it was a useful plant until Nixon came into the office. Then it was a war on race. You tie certain, certain plants to drugs to certain races and you can legally <sighs> discriminate in a way. I, I, this plant is such a gift. It's like the bees and the mushrooms, and I'm just talking regular mushrooms, you know, yeah. that is just so, you know, just, <laughs> just to clarify. And just to clarify, <laughs> um, the way, I know I would talk with people about the work that I do and they're like, wow, you must've done like a lot of acid in your, I'm like, no, I've done no, this is all raw. This is all me. <laughs> There's nothing else going on, you know, this is, and it'll come to find out I have a neurodivergent brain. I'm more like, you know, Elon Musk than I probably care to admit, you know, and, and, and the fact that it's a far reaching looking at different angles to topics. If someone's in a coma, how can I work with that brain or that tissue to help them? You know them? your uh, Myers-Briggs personality out of curiosity? Mm -hmm. oh, no, I, 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 I think it's, um, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, INFJ, that's why I ask. INFJ. Is that what yep. you are? Mm -hmm. What does that Type mean? A. Um, introverted, extrovert. It's the rarest of all the personality types. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That you like to be in, you're introverted, but you also like to press the extroverted <sighs> angle, or? What do they label it as? They label it as, funny enough, the advocate. 
Ah, there we go. So yes, yes, that's kind of where I eventually pulled from. I think when I when I when I've looked at these, like the Enneagrams or the Myers Briggs or whatever, you know, it always comes down to the same thing. Basically, an educated high risk taker, a calculated high risk taker, an explorer, and that is that is kind of everything from my funny blood type to you know my O negative, which is a little bit odd to some of my weird. DNA mutations, um, you know, it um, has set up this sort of oh, negative. cautious, you know, what? I'm also, in the, well, that's the it's, universal it's one, right? Yep. yep. Well, but the negative, the RH negative, the RH factor um, is, um, I, I hope I'm not misquoting myself, but I, I do remember seeing that, yes, O is the universe, but then when you put in that negative, the, the, the RH, um, it, it changes things. It makes it a lot, it's not a lot going on there with a lot of humans. Oh. Um, yeah, because O negative, I, I know, is the universal one, which is what I am, because I've had to get blood once. Because my colleagues yeah, yeah, was yeah. that bad. Oh. I felt bad because I was like, oh no, I'm taking the rare blood and I can't give any because I want an infusion. <laughs> right, right, right. I was like, right. God, I'm a horrible person. No, um, no, no. No, no, no. I, but I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that I would like marijuana so much. <laughs> wonderful plant. But it is. I think that I think that it's the um, government to catch up, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what research getting very particular about the strains that I think can help different ailments. I don't I, it's definitely um, I also I know for myself and just how I am, I don't tend to have an addictive personality. I don't I don't like I can like when I was younger, I would smoke cigarettes, but I never got addicted, which is not. I know. And I, I think that's because personality. really, really okay. Yep. Because I um I grew up with so much cigarette smoke from the native, my native family, and it just felt like home. So I might have like half a cigarette after dinner. And uh, you know, I stopped doing that because I liked meditating more and they were kind of in conflict at one point. Um, but but now I must say I like having I like having a little marijuana at night and it really I would it's use beautiful. I love it. Oils during the day for colitis and edible at night so I could actually go to sleep. Absolutely. And, oh God, if I could sleep like more than five hours straight, that'd be great. Yeah. No, it's um it's um that's a recent development, but it was like <clears throat> when your doctor is like pushing you <laughs> and you have a medical marijuana card and you have a wonderful dispensary, it sort of feels like well, we're just trying a different medication and that is a that is what it is um yeah, wait but, for the uh, federal government to catch up there i know and that's, they need to get greedy and want to tax it and it'll be good well no you know what they're doing is pfizer just bought up a bunch of something or other they're trying to make, they're already starting to make i had a client who from the pharmacy um, in the internal pharmacy at the hospital the local hospital here was able to get marijuana but it was like in pill form or something. And my doctor was like, don't get that. It doesn't, it's not toxic. Don't, don't go there. So I, they're, they're pharmaceutical companies are definitely, are definitely into it and are starting to develop their own. Yeah, no, I, it, it's like, it's like how they make, um, what is it? Aspirin, how they make that out of the willow bark and, or, you know, they, they, by extracting that plant without the fullness of the plant, you know, it's just, it's a care, it, it should be a care filled process. I guess what I'm getting at. Um, 
just like if I use CBD, the best CBD that I find for me is one that has the CO2 extraction that really keeps all of the fat and all of the different elements in it. And if it's tainted, I can usually feel it right away. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have one farm here that's really, really, really amazing. I need, so I need the federal government to get greedy <laughs> and want to tax all of marijuana. Oh, no. You know how much they lose in taxes on, on just the, the states that do it? I mean, what is it California this year is supposed to do like almost $3 billion in tax revenue? In tax revenue, not just sale, tax revenue. The state's going to get close to $3 billion. Wow. You know, you know, the, you know, the federal government's like, Ooh, we'll oh yeah, no, I, mean, I, I just, I just think that like when you brought up about prednisone and the difference between having a strain, however, one is wanting to absorb it into their body, whether it's a cream or it's inhalation or it's an edible or whatever, just the amount, the difference, if that was allowed, that was more offered as an option um, for people then, as you said, like prednisone, which just messes up the body long term. I was, term. It's I was really having hallucinations rough. that I didn't realize were, were happening for a while on the on the prednisone because I was such a high dosage. Oh. My bones are they're gone. Are your bones still not good? They're they're still bad. Yeah. Are they going to get better? Is there a way that you can increase? Um, if I disease? stop being lazy and work out. <laughs> okay. That's my official answer. So That's yes, um, I have until 35 as a male where I can, I can rebuild a lot of my bone strength through working out through um, essentially weighted activities. So things like, you know, lifting. Yes. Weights. Yeah. Like the bone. Yeah. 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 For sure. <clears throat> yeah. Um, paired with, you know, supplements, calcium and, and um, other supplements to help you absorb calcium. So yes, I can. I just need to start working out on a more regular basis which yeah. when you have colitis should get paired with a bunch of protein and other supplements to help your body because colitis, you don't absorb things properly. So see, I think there's, I think there's a benefit for me in that the human body and anatomy is always, so my special interest, you know, a lot of autistic people will talk about their special interests. My special interest has always been since the age of three or two years old, how does reality work? That has always been, that has been at the forefront in my brain, always trying to figure out how reality works. And so how, um, you know, it, it's why I can work in healthcare on like, you know, I, I um, researched, designed and implemented um, the yoga program for our Vermont Children's Hospital and uh, worked on that project for about a year. And, uh, you know, how, how does one go in and work with really sick children and some who are, who are about to die or who are very sick? And I think it, there's a few things that come into play for me, which is having gone through such horrific things as a kid, there's not a lot that frightens me or scares me anymore. Um, so while nurses and other people are kind of, you can see they're anxious. I'm like, I'm like right there and they're with them, talking with them. I can help them with what they have going on. Um, I don't know where I'm going with all of that. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But I guess I'm just Focus saying area. that this, oh. is the, this is the other lining of having some of these ailments and diseases is that being an advocate like yourself or being boots on the ground like I am with other people, I can meet them in a lot of pain because I get what pain and really deep pain and loss of life, loss of what you thought was your life was going to be, you know, I can be there with them. Um, and it, it's, it's, that is the one thing that has come through all of this, but
my special interest, how reality works. That's what I was saying is that whether I always like to, to try to figure it out like a puzzle and to do my best or to move people on to someone who might be better than me for that particular issue or to troubleshoot with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm invested in people having their voice and finding what their voice is to have their freedom, whatever that means, whatever that, that. you know what I mean? Whatever that means, that freedom. um, And so whether they are alive or they're in spirit form or, you know, whatever happens, I don't know what their journey is. I don't know what it is going to be like, but allowing them to feel seen and heard and have that voice is like so healing that, um, you know, my job, that's my, that's, that's, that's it. And it, it, it allows me, you know, I've worked on a lot of hospice cases and uh, yeah, I, I don't, it's not that I don't get emotionally involved, but it's not my journey. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's their journey. I'm just witnessing and trying to do the best that I can. And I also have my special interest of trying to figure out what's going on here. So it's not that I don't, as an autistic or traumatized person or, you know, dealing with my own healthcare issues, have an emotion with it. It's just that I'm so excited to be able to give them back to them and to just sit back and say, what's up? What can we do here? Yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> the amount of things that I learned about myself talking to other people about, <laughs> right. just like, you know, yeah. why do I, why would I even go to a doctor to get diagnosed with anything? And you just <laughs> talk to other people on the podcast, like, yep, nope, that's definitely where I fall. Talk about yeah. your, your overly, you know, one thing that you're focused on, I'm just like, God, that's, hmm. Yeah, it's way too much of me. I have like two things that I focus on nonstop all the time. What do you focus on? What are what is your <clears throat> so cars, mm. specifically diesels? Um, I've been overly focused on diesels forever because I understand they're a far superior combustion but combustion nice. engine, and the United States underutilizes them in the general sense for transportation. Like like electric cars drive me crazy. Why I'm a car guy because they're horrible for the environment. They're yeah. horrible for so the environment. People don't think of about the nickel it. and the battery. Is it? I mean, I always thought that <clears throat> I wouldn't go electric with cars because of the nickel and because of the rare earth, the rare earth minerals that are needed to create them. So before we even talk about the battery aspect of it, mm-hmm. where does most of the United States grid get its power from? Oil, right? Oil and coal, right? Yeah, we're not there yet with wind or solar. So when you, when you buy your Tesla car and you go plug it into your house, mm-hmm. they're burning more oil or more coal to make right. up for it. So unless you're, unless you're sourcing the energy that you're using for the electric cars from a yes. carbon neutral source or from exactly. a fully green source, it, it just doesn't work. And in America, diesels looked at like this big, gross, nasty, horrendous thing but a diesel engine is fundamentally more efficient than a gas engine because of the way they're designed they're a little bit bigger design because diesel is a more potent fuel and it creates a larger explosion for the same amount of you know fumes um, which is why the engines are bigger to handle that that force and they can more utilize it but um one of the big things i found out a while ago is audi was actually creating what was called they called blue crude it was mm-hmm. a carbon neutral synthetic diesel that they were creating. So they pull the carbon um, out of the air through a process of electrolysis and a couple other processes that they didn't yeah, yeah, identify. Yeah. They would recharge it and create synthetic diesel. Okay. And, wow. But the way they were making it, you could light a match to a barrel and it could burn 
And it technically wasn't bad for the environment because they already pulled all that carbon that's getting burnt out of the oh, air to recharge wow. it and make so it. So it actually has like a dual, like it's actually absorbed, it's taking carbon out. So they that pull is- the carbon out and recharge oh, wow. it. So they're pulling wow. that out of the atmosphere, recharging it and turning it into a fuel again. So it's carbon neutral. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you pair yeah. that with an engine that's more efficient. Now yes. diesels technically have the potential to be more efficient than, a, than an electric vehicle. Right. So it's just, that's one of the things I've always focused on. And then I've always focused on trying to help people. I just more worked and actually figured out where to make that work. Funny yeah. enough, I wanted to go into the Coast Guard. I was like nice. my original, but I got nice. diagnosed before I when I was 17. Uh, so you can't, oh, you can't, you nope. can't, oh, wow. Can't, can't join any, any branch of the military with a chronic illness. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That was my but first, yeah. like, hey, I want to help people. Um, and eventually oh. got turned into, hey, let's run a podcast. I can do that. I like, hey, no, it's <clears> great to have a forum. I'm learning a lot here too, for sure. So yeah, no, I spend way too much time thinking about the podcast, but no, I can't talk about autism way too much. Um, probably fall in that category too. I'm going to actually eventually go talk to somebody, mostly, mostly for the ADHD I mean, side. Because so Have you been diagnosed with anything besides colitis or has there been any other health no. that have come up? No. Okay. Um, I need to get my lungs at, looked at because COVID, and it's just long COVID in the lungs that it's definitely... Probably need like a steroid inhaler for a little while to fix that. I just haven't gone and done it yet, which is part of the stop being lazy part with working out because I need to go fix my lungs yeah. so I can work out and not. So you like can I'm go dying. work out. No, I um, I had that with H1N1 in 2009. I I ended up getting my lungs got um, damaged from that. I think it's repaired. It took about takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. It took about 12 years. Um, but I, we, we were able to, I worked with a lung health specialist here, but I still can't create a fever, which doctors are very confused by, <laughs> but viruses can do that. It altered my immune system. So I don't know if that has led into the Crohn's as well, because hmm. the timing is similar. Interesting. Um, but I, when I had COVID recently, not that actually I got I had the Stellara infusion and got COVID that night. <laughs> so, right. Because Look, I had both times I got COVID, it was like right after an infusion. Yep. And, and, uh, and no fever, you know, um, but I was sicker than sick. The same thing has happened with the flu. I don't, I, I can't, my body. So, what the lung specialist had said, which was that viruses can permanently damage or for a while damage the immune system. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, that it's frustrating because if, if health specialists are only looking at certain markers, like you can't have this because you don't have that. And I'm like, look, I'm telling you, I can't, cre- my body was altered for a time or maybe permanently from this virus. I can't create a fever. Um, Interesting. I just can't, cre- I, I'm getting better. Like when I had the flu a few years, 2018, um, I, I got up to hundred. <laughs> now, normal person, it might've been like 104, 105, but that was big. That was a big deal for me. Like I finally got a little bit of a fever going. Um, but it, it, uh, they, they want the markers and I'm just kind of like, I don't have the markers to give you, but I'm still really sick. Can we at least test me for whatever this is? And then they're surprised. Like, they're like, that's not possible. I'm like, well, then I guess I'm not possible. What do you want me to say? <laughs> You know, I, I do. I wish, I wish, thing. I wish doctors could just half 
I, I was just thinking of a friend of mine who's an um, orthopedic surgeon, and what she would like to do is work half the time, spend more time with her kids and, you know, spend more time just with quality of life, but the hospital won't let her. This isn't local, this is somewhere else, but, you know, she, she can't get around that. And I'm just like, I, I wish doctors could make the same amount of money and the same, and just have half, half the caseload be able to follow their interests or research. It, it, I do think that doctors are in a tough position in this country, in the US, with all of the constant need to report on their little freaking laptops while they're talking to you. You know, it's less, it's, it becomes more about that sometimes. And I'm in a rural spot where doctors do have more time. I'm not in a fast paced city environment and it's still challenging. You see the difference here, you know, for those that are older, of what quality of healthcare, it becomes about quantity and not quality and how much money they can make. That's a, that's a big, well, I mean, even in rural areas, I, I talk to people that run into that where they're just kind of in and out just to get yeah. that insurance payment and your copay. Yep. Yep. Um, a lot of things to unpack there. What was I going to say? Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> was <gonna say> <laughs> well, uh, it's, oh, I think fever. That is a yeah. very interesting fact that you bring up that you can't go over hundred because now that you mentioned that, I can't think of a time where I've been over a hundred in quite a long time. And I say that because last week, um, interesting. was it Friday the 18th? Mm-hmm. So Friday the 18th, I got an infusion and, mm-hmm. um, the following Monday, I thought I, I thought I had allergies because that Saturday, Sunday was really nice down here. It was like 80 degrees. So I was like, oh, my allergies are acting up. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was like sick. And mm-hmm. it was like cold or night sweats, cold shivers, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. It was a cold, it wasn't COVID because I did a bunch of the tests. So it wasn't actually COVID itself. Um, but no, I had a fever and my fevers are always at like 100. 101 or 100.4. It's the highest I usually ever go. So it's interesting that you so say. I want, so I wonder if, see, and this is where it, this would be interesting. Like, you know, I've been t- bit by ticks my whole life, living mm-hmm. in Maryland, living in New Mexico, living in New York, living in Vermont. Vermont is like tick central here. And I just wonder if, you know, for whatever the reason, this, th- this kind of cascading down started with that H1N1. Um, which was pretty a decimating. I was, I, I was younger and didn't really, wasn't paying attention, but I know it put a hurt on, like it really did a number in Colombia and South America um, where it hit really, really hard. And then it started traveling. Um, around, I don't really, I can't remember, but I do remember one person I knew, a student of mine whose lungs were completely trashed. A lot of villagers in her village died. Um, this is in, I think, Colombia and uh, from H1N1 in 2009. So it was a really intense virus, um, but you know, I don't know. But ever since then, I've not been able to create a fever. So you wonder, I wonder, you know, if that was a spark. If I genetically have a, a marker for Crohn's from my dad, since he since he was so sick from it, did that is was that the trigger? You know, because that's when all the gut health issue stuff started. Interesting. <laughs> because now that you mentioned, I don't think I've had a fever like over 100.4 since I've had colitis. Interesting. Because usually, so for myself, like usually if I'm running a fever like 100, 
if I'm, if I'm not feeling sick, it's, oh, I'm dehydrated. That's, that's like the go-to when you have Crohn's or colitis, if you're running a fever, it's like not a big deal. Cause you're like, oh, I'm dehydrated. No big deal. And you know, you drink a bunch of Gatorade or some water and a right. couple hours later, it's, you know, you're back down to whatever your normal temperature you're running at is, mm-hmm. but I can't say a time where I've ever seen a hundred one or higher. It Did hasn't you, ever what, gone over when you were a teenager or a kid, ear infection, colds, flus, strep throat, anything like that, did you have fevers then? Other other than colitis, I generally don't get sick. I don't oh, get the flu shot. Yeah. I, I very rarely get sick. The only time I get sick now is after an infusion. If I happen to be around somebody that's sick and because my infusion kills my immune system for a couple of days, right, right, right. Up, yeah. which was my mistake last infusion. I went down to the ocean front here and they had a shamrock marathon because it was a really nice day. So I had tons of people. <laughs> yeah. So I got something, you know, I got yeah. sick and next week I was like, wow, that was really, really stupid. Alex, good job. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think the, the COVID thing was, I think brought home by my oldest. Um, she had a little sniffle, totally negative on the COVID testing. And I got sicker than sick. Now I could have already had it in me incubating. And then the solar, my body was fighting it just fine. And then mm. the solar infusion, you know, it was the, it was the first infusion. So it was in the hospital, like the big bag. It wasn't the small injection. It was really a, bit, a lot. And I just, yeah, I went down hard, <laughs> no, but, but you know, yeah. So no, I, I, I normally like, I, I rarely get sick. It's usually around my infusions. And mm-hmm. like, like when I first got COVID, it was, I had my infusion and I got like, I didn't even get home before I started feeling bad. Like <laughs> I had my infusion, so I got home and I was like, I feel like I get hit by a bus. I was mm. like, I'm going to go take a nap. Cause which isn't super uncommon. Like every once in a while, I, I kind of have like a, a cycle that happens with my infusions. Like I, I'm, I'm good. I get closer to my infusion. I drop down a little bit. Like I have a little less energy. I start having maybe a little tiny flare up and I get my infusion. I bounce back up. Sometimes when I get my infusion, I'll have a rough one where it's like, okay, my body's tired. I need to go sleep for the rest of the day, which is, it, it happens. It's not super common, but it happens every once in a while. This one's like, wow, I really need to go sleep the rest of the day. And I kind of woke up and I was like, wow, I feel like shit. <laughs> and then the following day, it was weird because- was this Was this prior to the vaccines or did, did you get vaccinated from, from COVID? Unfortunately. Okay. Unfortunately. So my- How do you, my, how do you say unfortunately? So my Remicade infusions have been less effective since I've been vaccinated. We've yet to figure out why. Uh, which vaccine did you have? Uh, Pfizer. Yeah, me too. Okay. So I've, we've yet to figure out why, but I've been on Remicade for an extremely long time. I've had, mm-hmm. I was on it at eight weeks for a really long time. I took a two-year break because we tried a couple other things because it wasn't working in every eight weeks. And then I came back to it, which is also really rare because normally you build up antibodies to it. Right. I've been on it for another like six years since I got my second vaccination, which I got a vaccination. A week and a half later, I got my infusion and then a week and a half after that i got another vaccination which i didn't build up any antibodies to because we have done more antibody tests since since then but since then i would say my old energy level would sit between 80 and 90 percent of what i used to be and that was just like 80 to 90 was my max energy level that's why i would sit during an infusion mm-hmm. i'd get close to my infusion it would drop down to maybe 60 percent mm-hmm. now i would say 60 to 70 percent is my max Mm-hmm. And I dropped down to 50. It's been like that since I got vaccinated. Can't figure out why. Huh. 
iron's good. All my levels are fine. I haven't built up any more antibodies. So I haven't figured out why yet, but since I've gotten my vaccination, my infusions well, have been less I mean, effective. It's definitely, I, yeah. I mean, I think I, having had COVID like I did and I definitely, I definitely think I, I would have been in the hospital if I had, if I wasn't vaccinated. That's just me. I'm not speaking. The first time I had it, I just don't, I don't think I would have done well. First time I had it, I wasn't vaccinated. That was like, that was the first year. Like like when it was, when it was the original COVID before it started changing. Um, And it killed my energy, but during the day, I just felt kind of like a sinus like mm-hmm. when you have a cold it yeah, yeah, yeah. only sucked at night so if i lay down it felt like i was inhaling fire oh, that was God. it that was it i'd sit up if i propped myself up perfectly fine no big deal i could sleep like propped up but no if i would lay down it felt like my lungs were on fire all night and that was the only thing that like made me like think okay maybe it is covid like this is not- <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no i mean i would say for me the lingering of the impact of covid was more on cognition. I lost the ability to figure out directions. So if I got in my car, I've been driving around this area for 20 years, um, off and on, you know, and um, I couldn't figure out how to get, well, people call it. And I was like, I don't feel foggy. I feel like I can't get the synapse to talk to each other. Like I can't, I can't get them to, and I would lose, I would lose words. I, uh, it's gotten a lot better. You know, it, it was a few, it took me a few weeks to, to, to be able, but still I'll get in the car and I'll just be like, I don't know how to get there. Like I know there that I know where that place is and I know I'm here, but I don't know how to navigate there. So it was like, there was something in my brain that couldn't figure out how to navigate it, but it came back. Um, but that was a little, yeah, that was, that was a concern, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I ask because brain fog is a really common thing with chronic illnesses in general. Is it? So uh, yeah. yeah, it's especially Crohn's and colitis. Like it's a super common thing and I, I get it a lot and I don't, sometimes I'm like, it's my ADHD kicking in. We just throw a deck of cards out and just pick the one, you know, like, what's what happening? What is it? ADHD, no, is it a side effect? Is it, and that's sleep I mean, enough. I think that having such an altered reality my whole life, to be real honest, it's like when I was diagnosed with Lyme and, and it was like, I hear all the people on the Lyme boards, like all these, you know, and I'm just like, huh. I said, I think I'm just so used to soldiering. Like, I have so many ways of working with my body and being mm-hmm. that I probably was sort of running on empty and not really even that aware of it and then my when bonds. i start to feel like my body's great at that my <laughs> right? body look i say it all the time and people like it drives some people crazy that i know i'm like yeah no my body's good at suffering it's great at it it's a great job <laughs> no like that's not how it works well no but if you've had if you've had colitis since you were 17 and i for example I'm, i've been autistic my whole life and i'm i've had ptsd pretty much my whole life um you know, you're just, you're just used to I don't know. I, like, I kind of, I mean, I think that I have to be more mindful of the body signals. Like when I was with TMS and then with, um, whatever's going on now with Crohn's it, it's a real, it, for me, it's, it's, it is a wake up, like <sighs> is the structure of my life. What needs to shift? 
to be less with less stress. Okay, here's something. There's a program called the Gupta program. Have you heard about the Gupta program? It's this guy Ashka. Somebody's talked about it from, before. Yeah, he's from England or the UK, I think. And he has really good efficacy studies, but helping with people who have chronic illness, fibromyalgia, IBS. But these are all I I I've been hesitant because I'm like it has a whole methodology of working with the elasticity of the brain, of working with brain health, working with the nervous system, working with breath, working with, it's bringing in a lot of different ideas in a very streamlined, methodical way. Mm. And so there have been people who have been success, but will that, will that really touch IBD? I can see IBS, I can see fibromyalgia, I can I see mean, chronic, but I, but I don't know about- Mild people, or, probably? Yes. I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be honest, mild, the people that fall under mild, probably. Okay. Probably when you um, get in what, what, when they say to me, moderate, severe, mm -hmm. I'm like moderate. When they say that my Crohn's is moderate to severe, what does that mean? So I'm going to ask you because I can't get a straight answer from my doctor. I'm like, what does that mean? Most people get a range. So most people get a range based off of their right. symptoms. Um, right. It's very rare that you get put into a very specific category. Now, the reason that I know I'm in the severe category is because right. I was in the hospital full right. flare up. Like <clears throat> the first time I was in the hospital, I should have gone to the hospital a month before I did. Wow. I went from like 165 pounds down to like 105 in oh, three wow. weeks. I was right. skin and bones and I'm, I'm five, seven. So, you know, that's, that's, I was right. a skeleton. Yeah. Um, I went to the hospital because I went out to eat with my girlfriend at the time. I was used to not getting through a meal without like, you know, either throwing up or having to go to the bathroom. That wasn't a big deal. I, I kind of had gotten used to it right. as part of my routine, but I started throwing up blood. I was like, that is yeah. the opposite side of my digestive tract where I have an issue. So that's really right. not good. Right. Right. <clears throat> but no, when, um, I was like, this. so the range is generally put in place because most people don't want to be in a full flare up and they don't want you to be in a full flare up to actually mm -hmm. diagnose you. I was in a full flare-up when I went to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So they did a colonoscopy and endoscopy, met right in the middle. And they're like, yeah, no, it's everywhere in your large mm -hmm. intestine, in your colon. It's almost all of it. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the problem with Crohn's and colitis is a lot of the time is the less you treat it and the more you let it go, it can start to right. cover like larger areas and can expand. Right. right, that's what he was saying, yeah. So there's a good chance it would have stopped more moderate for me if I would have been taken care of it and had it right, maybe under control right, a bit faster, but right, it's more on the severe right, side right. because it's spread to that extent. Right. And your body's like, okay, if we get bad, here's how bad we can get. It's kind of like, you know, once you push to that level, that's your cap. And the longer right. you let that cap go, the bigger it can get. Now, when you're not in a full flare up and you're kind of just having a flare up or you're having some symptoms and it's, and it's mm -hmm. causing a problem, Doctors try to treat it right away, you know, and, and they did for me, you know, my doctor did for me too. She threw some medication at me. It just wasn't working because of how bad my body was with it. And I still have a theory that my body just chews up medication and spits it out faster than it should. Like that's, that was adorable. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they give you a range because it's like, okay, here's your symptoms. If they do a colonoscopy, maybe you have some ulcers, maybe you have some polyps that they have to take and do tests on. And they say, based off of this information, Mm -hmm. here's where you range 
You could right. be moderate. You could be up to severe. You're in this range and they treat you in this range because there's no absolute. Now, if you get horrible and you flare up completely and you're in the hospital and they look and they can say, well, it's on 50% of your intestines. This is pretty right, bad. Right, or right, right, it's only right, on 30%. Right. It's not horrible. Right, right. But they don't want people to get to that extreme. Um, yeah. And it's usually... You know, they, they can do that by, okay, how, how well do you respond to certain medications? How often are you going to the bathroom? You know, um, do you have any ulcers? Are you, are you going on a regular basis? Do you have nausea? Mm -hmm. What are your mm -hmm. symptoms in general? Do mm -hmm. some normal, you know, some basic oral medications help with it? Or do you need something more advanced? And how quickly mm -hmm. do you bounce back once you are on certain medications? Yeah, like I was surprised. I mean, I was surprised that they wanted to go right to a biologic um, you know, I don't, I don't understand that. The, so there's two parts to that. There's a, there's the, the scientific side of it, or if there's generally less side effects, um, mm -hmm. they do have better success rates and mm -hmm. long-term mm -hmm. much less side effects, especially on higher right. dosages compared to like prednisone or something long-term is horrible for you. Right, 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 right. On the flip side, which is the um, pharmaceutical side, because, you know, I do have a business background. I've run a couple of businesses and I have an entrepreneur mindset from a business mindset. I've gone mm. to quite a few business seminars and mm. there's a funnel. Yeah. Yeah. There's a business funnel at the top. You have customers that buy from you every once in a while. Then you have right. people that buy from you more often. Then you have your monthly customers. Yeah. Biologics it's a recurring customer. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's I a recurring I, customer and it's, does it help a lot of people? Yes. But on the, on the, on the other side, it is, it is a recurring customer. And, and I say it all the, like I say it a lot, the pharmaceutical companies make customers, not cures. So do you think that there's a natural way to work with colitis or yeah. with, <laughs> are you, I mean, are you, are you, are you going to make that switch at some point in your life? Do you think of just um, versus if and when I can so mm -hmm. I work for the government I'm a federal right. employee right um, as long as it is illegal at a federal level I am not allowed to use it so Virginia oh. actually did legalize recreational and they're starting to roll it out in certain areas until the federal government says hey this is legal and the federal government comes out with a policy or some sort of <clears throat> structure for how federal right. employees would be allowed to use it I can't that's, that's the end of it. I, that, that just, that just blows my mind. Like, for example, I have a medical marijuana card. I, this was, this was prescribed by my doctor. This is going to a medical dispensary where it's regulated and taxed. So like, I don't understand where the federal government at any point in time could say this is unacceptable and they could arrest everyone in the United States who uses marijuana right. or has a, even, even if it's a medicinal use. Right. And on top of that, when you work for the government, depending on where you work in the government, a lot of the times when you work for the federal government, when you go to work, if you work mm -hmm. on a military base or certain right. installations, you are not in the state that you work in anymore. You're on a federal piece of property. You're on a separate piece of property. So, you, so it fully falls under the federal guidelines. Right. So that's, that's the thing is the federal government, when it comes to weed, they've just been overlooking it. You're like, you know what? We don't care about it. Right. We're not going to fight it. We're not going to try to enforce anything. We're just going to let you guys do what you want to do with weed. 
if they wanted to, they have the full authority to say this is 100% unacceptable. Everyone goes to jail or you have so long to comply or you're going to jail, which I don't think they want to do because it is being incredibly successful in a lot of the states and and it is becoming a lot more popular, especially the medicinal side of it. But it's going to come down to when the government wants to approve it just for the taxes that they get. I think that's what it's going to be because the government's so split. Yeah, they're going to do it because they get greedy versus the benefits of it. They're not going to care about the benefits. They're going to be like, that's a lot of money. We're not taxing. Yeah, it's a it lot would be really it would, it would be really nice to visit or learn more, spend more time understanding how other healthcare systems like in Japan work and, and deal. Like, have you met anyone with colitis or Crohn's from Japan? So not from really Japan, but somebody used to work with um, he was actually stationed in, in Japan, Okinawa, when he got diagnosed with Crohn's. So he got diagnosed, he got kicked out of the military because you get discharged when you have certain conditions medically. Um, And he ended up working over there at Mm -hmm. one of, you know, as a a civilian person for the government over there. Um, And he was saying, you know, he was there for six or seven years and he went out one weekend and he was out in like mainland Tokyo compared to Okinawa, which is one of the smaller islands below Japan. Um, and he was, he ate something, he got sick and he was kind of having a flare up and he, he had to go to the hospital. He was freaking out. He was freaking out. He's like, you know, I don't have international insurance. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. He had to go to the hospital. They gave him like, you know, IV fluids. They ran a couple tests. He said they did like a cat scan and a couple other things to see what it was. Um, and then they gave him some, I don't know, steroids or something, just some, some orals for him to take. And they gave him like, you know, a week prescription because it was a flare up and they sent him on his way and he finally got the bill for it. And without insurance, he said it was like 50 bucks, like, <laughs> like over to you. I was like, you said you got a cat, like it was a cat scan or MRI or something. He's like, yeah, was, he's like, I was petrified. Oh He's like, I was petrified because I didn't have insurance yeah. because no, he's, I, I, he's military. So he would, he would normally have to do yeah. it on the base and, you know, go yeah. through the VA yeah. and stuff. Um, he's like, yeah, no, no. I, I went out. He's like, I was in the hospital overnight. He's like, I thought I was going to get like a $10,000 bill. Yeah. He's like, I was freaking out. Yeah. I was and freaking this is, out. And this, and this is what, this is what frightens me. Like, for example, with female health, like I ended up having after my second an umbilical hernia that had to then have be repaired because my intestines popped out like a few years later. Generally and, not good. And generally not good. But I guess what I'm getting at is that if I if I talk with friends from um, the United Arab Emirates um, who live over there, when her experience with giving birth over there was they had a specialist PT come into the room and start to go over exercise. Like she had 10 weeks of full coverage of helping to repair her body and to keep an eye on how things were repairing after giving birth. And I thought, you know, wow, like how much will that save for everyone to have, including insurance companies, you know, to have that level of care more at the beginning. So then you're not playing reactive catch-up. And right now we seem in a reactive catch-up and that's why I'm not sure, 100% sure that this is Crohn's. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay. There's obviously something autoimmune happening, but I just feel sometimes a little bit passed through the system, and I am, am learning as I go. But you know, when I hear of everyone else's, you know, journeys, and I just sometimes it just I go, gosh, this really, really sounds like lupus or the beginning of lupus. And I, 
you know, and it, it, it becomes, I know that autoimmune system are tricky, but like if they ran all, like for example, some countries run all these tests and they do all these other things, just like the endocrinologist spent all that time, I wouldn't have spent all this other time being, you know, harsh on the pre-diabetes when that was never an issue in the first place. So, so, it's, so now I'm just like, now I'm just like very skeptical, which considering someone who has worked in eight different hospitals with surgeons, with patients, you know, I've worked in a lot of healthcare settings. Um, I, I now don't feel very confident and that's only in the last five years. That's, that's more of a recent, a recent concern of how things are so all about what is the current, like, uh, money. Whole, yeah. Well, it's money, but everything is all tied into these infrastructures. I forget what it's called, but it's a whole technology infrastructure that doctors have to sign into. They spend so much time having to chart and having, it, it just, it, I don't know, it's a catch-up game. And, you know, I see people dying or suffering because of it, where I didn't see that same population die 15 years ago. So it's, it's a lot of problems. On a cheery so the, note. <laughs> well, so it's a lot of problems. In, in the U.S., we, we have a reactive healthcare system. We do not have yes. a proactive healthcare system. Right. Um, and it's partially because of the insurance aspect of it. Yes, that is a massive role in it. And there's a massive chunk of our community, the irritable bowel disease community, that does not get treatment or that prolongs their treatment and pushes their medications twice yeah. as often. You know, it takes it less than they should because they can't afford it. And being someone that was has been fully covered by insurance. Yes, because this entire time, yeah. this entire yeah. time I've had colitis, I had to pay for two two of my infusions out of pocket, 8K a pop, 16 grand. I'm still paying them off. Whoa. While fully, fully covered, fully covered. What happened? Why weren't those? So different? my dad's an amazing human being, not so much. Um, parents went through a divorce. He mm. was required to keep insurance on me changed jobs um, didn't inform me got it uh, and because i didn't get pre-approvals from the new insurance company had to pay for two of them out of pocket and you wonder why people don't go get things done the healthcare no. system also i think i think a large part of why people don't treat it as a proactive healthcare system you don't know what something costs until it's done yeah no it's true i don't it's i don't true. get hey it's the healthcare system is worse than the automotive field because the automotive field, if I say, hey, take a look at my car. Okay, now I have to pay a diagnostic fee. No big deal. Right. right. Or in the healthcare field, the diagnostic fee is more than the treatment. Exactly. Is exactly. more than the treatment. That I mean, I know $2,000 scan yeah. gets me yeah. $100 a month prescription. I can do the $100 a month prescription, but I didn't know about the $2,000 scan until after I did it. There's no, hey, by the way, we're going to sign you up for the scan. Your insurance doesn't cover it. So heads up, it's going to cost you $1,600 if you want to do it. To which most people are like, I'm going to pass. Yeah. But this $1,600 might save a $10,000 hospital stay. I know. Or, you know, something I else know. down the road. It, and that's what is, that's what's, you know, I think what I've noticed being in integrative health, especially with, because I was already working a lot in hospitals on them, hospital cases. And so- now it's becoming a little bit more common that you'll have these offerings or doctors will say, oh, go do, do some yoga, it'll be fine. But you don't have yoga clinicians that understand the scope of their practice or who are trained really thoroughly or really in depth or really studying. So 
doctors don't always understand. So they're saying this is proactive, this is helpful, but yet they're funneling them to a teacher who maybe just doesn't have that training. And it becomes, you know, I, I, I work very hard to stay within the scope of my practice and to help make sure I'm navigating people well. But I'm also, I feel like coming from a different time because I'm now seeing some of, some of, it's, it's really messy and it's, um, it's, it's, what's the right word? I don't know what to make it. You know who I like is, do you ever see, you probably, I don't know if you've seen, there's a doctor out of Las Vegas. His name is Z-Dog. His, his, I'll be honest, his I don't long, follow a ton of the medical professionals. He, <laughs> I will say he is fun to listen to and he's good and he has great people from all walks of life coming onto his podcasts and his YouTubes and his, you know, whatever. And um, just to give some perspective about what's happening, boots on the ground, people behind the scenes, healthcare workers, nurses love him, doctors love him. Um, he's just really an advocate for what's happening in the healthcare field for, for all healthcare providers, whether they're in integrative health or they're physicians or you know what, what what's going on in science right now. And it, it, it was his way because he was getting burnt out and he was really demoralized. It was a, a moral injury as he called it, is that these are people who've gotten in to help people to, to do good work, to follow science, and then you get in it, and and I'm really seeing behind the scenes of what happens. It is it is it been a benefit to me to be self employed or contracted on these cases to go in and see what's going on because I'm not beholden to edit data or to fudge things a little bit to to make you know to make sure even though we have all these protections in place when research is done, it's a rough road right now. It's really it's a, it's it's rough. And so having these forums like you're, you're creating or having people doing any kind of, it, I think thoughtful investigation like PubMed, talking with others who are gone through it, what have they learned is so, is so valuable. But you know, then I see people get sucked down the rabbit hole spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on treatments that aren't sound and getting sicker. Yep. So well, that's, anyway. <laughs> that's a big part of podcasts. I've kind of been, been saying more recently in the, this year's podcast episodes is that I believe there's this massive amount of knowledge that's not in the healthcare system. Yeah. It's in the patients. Absolutely. It's in the people Absolutely. that live with it every day. And, and I say it a lot, you know, people who have longer term and have had conditions that they've lived with for a long period of time, Absolutely. trusting your body is super important because we know usually a lot faster than our doctors do if something's going on. And there's a massive amount of knowledge, which is why, you know, I, I prop people to come on and, and talk about their conditions all the time and the things that they've been through. And I've even talked about it in some of the solo podcasts that I've done, some of the dumb things that I did that negatively affected my health because I wasn't right. communicating with my doctor. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, 17 year old male, best at communicating in the world. Oh my word. That's a rough age to have a diagnosis like that. Plus, that I want to top it off. 17. I had a female doctor. I was also in the pediatric side because at 17, you're still a kid, oh, right. which still is also kid. weird. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. My doctor at the time, she was mid-20s. <laughs> she was fairly attractive. And now I got to go talk about my broken butt with her. Like, this is, oh, this is great. Oh this is a great oh, conversation. Oh, like, God. yes. Yeah, no, blood yeah. in my soul. Oh. Absolutely. Like this is this is great. Oh. I'm not a social person, surprisingly enough. Like I like my podcast realm, but I'm not a social butterfly. Oh, that's just horrific. That would just make so, yeah, let's communicate just everything. Like completely void out just from the thought of, of having so to just go that, that combination and set like perfect time to get diagnosed. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's, there's, there's this massive chunk of people. And yeah. I, I like to say a lot, like <clears throat> one of the things I talk about is I believe that all of us, regardless of our diagnosis, we deal with 70 to 80% of the same experiences from doctor's visits, medications not working, side effects, medical expenses, social life changing, family life changing, relationships not working because we get diagnosed with something or because we have a disability. And then 20 to 30% of what we deal with is experiences unique to our diagnosis. Yeah. And one of the big parts of this is not only the education side of it, but to, to get people to realize we can relate with each other on 70 to 80% of everything. Yes automatically because we have a chronic illness or a disability we struggle with mental health or we're dealing with a terminal illness we automatically connect because of this massive chunk whether you have a rare disease or you have a common you know chronic illness or a disability there's this massive realm of people that we need to pull together and i say it a lot i talk about the american cancer society a ton because they're a perfect example of it they lumped all of cancer together and they pushed Mm -hmm. it forward Yes, they did an amazing, amazing. That's what we need yeah. with disability yeah. Yeah. and chronic illness. Yeah. Push everybody yeah. together and we have a yeah. force to push forward. So we can we can make those changes that we need in our healthcare That's system. Awesome. And yeah. we can get, you know, more attention or more time with doctors, or hey, by the way, you know, like what I have actually matters. Um, and getting more people listening to it because and learning yeah. how to speak, I think, how to be an advocate for oneself. I mean, watching a massive thing. person do that in 2021 got me to do it with, and that's how it started with the endocrinologist saying, I'm, I don't believe this is an accurate diagnosis. I want to go further with this. I'm going to push on it. And it worked. It, it was, a, and it was just, it's funny. It was just this, in one of my support groups, just this older, probably in her seventies, she finally found her voice and her life radically changed. And I was like, I want that. (laughs) I want that. That is like my mentor. I want to be like her, you know, and her, she really inspired me and gave me pointers about how she, you know, she just, I just, I don't think she gave me pointers so much. It's just, she encouraged me, you know, to keep speaking up and to keep following my heart and my body to just say, because I've always looked at physicians like they have all this training and they have all this knowledge and I want to be respectful. And, you know, uh, and now I just, I'm just like, nah, I don't know. I, I just I want, you, I want you to think about this. So mm-hmm. two doctors, two Harvard degrees, mm-hmm. one of them got an A top of his class. One yep. of them barely passed. They yeah. both get the same degree. Yep. They do. Completely they do. different levels of effort, same degree. Um, but on, on the point of, of having a voice, it's super important. And I talk to probably 90% females on the podcast because, you know, guys love to share their feelings all the time, every day. <laughs> um, but on that note, the amount of people that I talk to, especially women, younger women, older women, I've had people, had a girl as young as 16 on the podcast talking about her diagnosis at 11 of elders Danlos syndrome. And I think my oldest has been, I think, 62. Wow. I think. Um, but a misdiagnosis rate in women is massive, especially for certain conditions. So understanding your body, pushing those kind of issues. And I say it all the time, you know, getting that second, third or fourth opinion. And now with COVID still kind of being a thing in the medical field, a lot of doctors have the option for telework and yes, tele yes, yes, appointments. Yes, I, I, I got into that in 2020. You can get an appointment outside of your region. 
-hmm. You can get a second opinion from a specialist somewhere else and yeah. you can bring that information back to your doctor if you think your Absolutely. doctor's not listening to you. And and uh, and I say that because I hear it in so many women, um, whether it gets lumped into yep. your menstrual cycle being yep. an excuse for younger women or yep. just ignoring your symptoms as a whole or lumping it into, oh, yep, that's just part of your period. No big deal. Or even going through, you know, perimenopause or menopause. I think that that is something that women, it's still not something women or the community or culture really wants to talk about. And I think that cultures that do have a more like in India or Japan, or they, 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 are, they are inclusive of becoming an elder, there's wisdom, there's respect. They don't have as many issues. Like why, why, is, why are they having less symptoms and issues? And I think it comes down to what you had brought up in the beginning, which was that we're talking about stress, gut health, inflammation, but also the cultural environment. And the cultural environment there is to really, as same in the native culture, is really respectful of elders to be very, it's a very elder focused community in a lot of ways. And when that isn't there, I just think it's interesting that you have more symptoms happening during these hormone fluctuations than in other cultures that are very kind and supportive to women getting older. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think in those cultures too, an important part of it is, you know, the elders have more power and respect because they, they have a continued role. Yes. They have a purpose. In in the United States, there, there is no like, no, it's, it's you retired. Good luck. Hopefully you don't end in a retirement home in like five right, years. We're, we're like live it up for those couple right, of years. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we no. put you in a house that we forget exactly. about you, like with a bunch of other old people. Um, yep. No, so yeah, there's, there's more of a role in that culture aspect. And I mean, you know, touching on the, the Japan aspect, because I, I want to go there because I do photography. I love nature photography. Yeah. Like I love the oh, culture in general. Oh, Japan is I'm a nerd. So they have so many nerdy yes, things over there. They do. It's wonderful. But <clears throat> over there in Japan, you know, the, the older you get and elders, they have professions that they are the masters at. Like they have people, especially in the automotive field, like they're, they're, there's older mm-hmm. gentlemen in the automotive field that are in their late sixties and seventies that are just the amount of knowledge and specialized yeah. skill that they have in, in one thing, maybe it's making high-end exhaust for vehicles or, you know, like bladesmith and all these, all these trades, they yeah. have a role yep. and that knowledge is sacred yes. and that knowledge is passed on. And, and that, that role in the community, if that person, something happens to that person early, it, it disrupts an entire industry. Mm-hmm or an entire field or entire group because that knowledge is just gone and it wasn't passed on to an apprentice or somebody that's next in line to learn it. And that's, that's not really a thing here. Like, no, no. I mean, I, I think that, I think that having purpose, I think that people feeling more centered with who and what they're going through, what their experiences, good, bad, ugly, happy, wonderful. You know, I, I do. I'm very thankful for having, for having such a long history inside of my native culture and being raised in part, just fully surrounded by native elders made a huge, was a huge turning point, was huge. It was colossal. It was a 180 shift of where my life went. And um, I'm much better for it. I'm still dealing with chronic health issues, but I feel grounded in myself. And I also see that when people say, oh, that's just the human condition. That's just the human. I'm like, no, it's not because my tribe was around for 10,000 years and this was not the freaking human condition. <laughs> this is, you know, yes, there was illness and there was suffering and there was all of that, 
but pain didn't have to equate ongoing suffering forever. Pain was a rallying cry for, do we need to examine, is our structure working out well? And how do we support this group of people? Pain and things not working was a rallying cry of let's fix this. I don't know what's happening right now, to be honest with you. It's, 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 it's not healthy. You know, I mean, I think about my tribe in, you know, was on Manhattan is a Lenape word for island, Manhattan. And I think about where New York City and where Long Island and where some of these areas were, you know, prior to 300, 400 years ago and how it stayed that way for 10,000 years and what it looks like and how it is and how people are, how the land is, how people are feeling, how their health is, how that is now compared to 300, 400 years prior. And I think that says everything we need to know about it is that we have fixing to do. So the yep. fixers and the people who have an interest in fixing, that, we've got, we've got that word is your problem. Fix. Is why fix is the problem. Why? So <clears throat> you look at, I mean, you, you look at everything nowadays. So, right. So I'm an, I'm an automotive guy. Like I love cars. Right. I love everything to do with cars. I love classic cars. And there's not that mindset of fix things anymore. Okay. You don't, you don't fix, oh, you don't fix your microwave. You don't fix yes. your part. We're in a throwaway away. society. Car, cars are the same way. Like automotive is the same way. Now everything's so complex. Once it gets to a certain point, you just throw it away. What do you do with a classic car? You buy a classic car, you rebuild it. You pull the whole engine out. You start from ground up. You check everything, new pistons, new rods, new rings. You make sure your, your engines level and the heads are flat. Like you go through the entire thing and you rework it, you rebuild it. We work and then you it. slap another yeah. 100,000 miles it. on it. Because it is. TV used to burn out. What'd you do? You popped a new bulb in it. Good to Absolutely. go. Or you would take it to the repair shop. Yeah. And you would have a or repair person would come out. We have and a I, throwaway I, society. Do and you would just talk. You were talking about that with the dating culture mm-hmm. with the younger generation. Doesn't work. You move on. Find something. And new. how do you? How do we think the tissues and the cells and the neurology are going to be impacted by that? It impacts. We're an animal. We're 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 basically one step away from a wolf or a bear or a bunny or a bird, and we're really not that much different. And they don't treat their 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 they're other species like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that there is some retooling and reworking. And I think that people are always surprised when I bring up and say, oh, it's just, you know how it is. We're human. It's a human condition. And I'm like, no, yes. Having illnesses and needing to rework the way we structure our lives or how to make it bioavailable and bio-friendly for ourselves. Absolutely. Um, but but the throwaway is a concern. And when we say what we say to our brain, it, it, it translates to our whole body, all of our tissues. So, but it's not it how mental health it does. And it, it is not the way humanity, it's not the way humans were designed or meant to be. And we're seeing the, we're, we're seeing the ramifications and ripple impact of that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, no, know. no, it's, it, it, it comes yeah. back to mental health and, and kind of the focus on yep. it. And I you're like not the taking community. the time to fix things. Yes. You're just we replacing them. Well, if yes. you can't, you can't even sit down and fix things that you need to work on yourself and you just move on to the next problem and create a new problem that and a new is, problem. This is you're why I, issues. I, this is why I like Vermont in the sense that we're small enough here that there's a lot of reworking of things and there's a lot of intergenerational work, meaning that if you're 75 and you want to keep plugging away at your farm or do, people will help you do that. You know, they'll mm-hmm. Young folk, 
17-year-olds hanging out with 50-year-olds or 80-year-olds hanging out with 40-year-olds. Like it's a because we're so small, we all have to work together and figure out our communities. And it's it's a it's a it's it's why I think I've stayed in Vermont so long because I think that the state is trying. We still have town meeting day <laughs> once a year where the town comes together and decides and everyone has a voice from the young to the old of how we're going to figure out how to run our community. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter. We have like politics. We have a Republican governor. We have a, at one point we had a progressive lieutenant governor and then we had a Democrat, you know, like it's everyone's all mixed in together and figuring out how to talk and work together which is really nice. Um, so I, I think we're more like Canada at this point than we are the United just, States up here Canada. in Vermont. Like we're just gonna, you guys have fun down there. Good luck. <laughs> I know, no, we're always having the- We got farms, we know how to do that. everything on our own. Like right, 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 we're good. We can, no, we can support always. ourselves. No, but, but I think what you're saying about there's a, the trade industry is very strong here and very well supported. Um, Bernie Sanders it's, is a- It's not in the United well. States. I know. Be, being someone that went to school for automotive that unfortunately doesn't do it because, you know, colitis and, and turning yeah. wrench aren't conducive for your health paired together, especially over <laughs> 20, 20 plus years, you know, turning wrench is not good for your health, especially diesel. That's a whole nother level oh, of yeah, let's just, break your body. Oh um, <clears throat> but the, the trade industries are dying they've been dying off. Um, and there's, there's a large problem with it because there's a, there's a massive generation of people in their, their 60s that are close to retirement in the trade industry, and nobody's, nobody's taking their positions. Nobody's taking those jobs because my generation on under, they don't want to get dirty. They want to get, you know, they well, want to get TikTok famous. I think there was also that and, whole push of, of, at least my generation, the whole push with college and, you know, well, you and know that, college, college, college. And, you know, my, my partner's, his brother makes... He's, who's an electrician and coming from a family of electricians makes so much more money than my partner who's a state employee, you know, and yep. has his master's and all this stuff. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, in Vermont, that is a push. There's a huge amount of money and push to get um, folk back into the trades. And we have a lot of good schooling here because we're running out of people to fix refrigerators, running out of people to fix elevators or pools or cars or, mm -hmm. you know, build houses. And it, it's, it's, I, I do, I think that if someone is, is listening to this and feels a pull to whatever it is, try it out, you know, use your hands, you know, you, you just because it, it, I don't know, I think that we've gotten a little removed to some of the basics that will make us healthy and whole and community oriented. Well, we don't yeah. fix anything and things anymore. The, the people that are in trades are the people that take mm -hmm. the time to put into fixing something. They're not yeah. the people that just throw something away. They they understand the value in repairing, re, you know, refurbishing, rebuilding. And I will say they don't have that mindset even anymore. As, even as I continue writing and my exploration with um, inside of physics and space and realities and all of that, which is great, I'm still. I still do my boots on the ground with um, working on cases inside of massage and Reiki and helping people because it, it is, I'm using my hands. I'm, yep. I'm actively helping that. And I, I feel great too. Cause it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, for me would not, we'll never say never, but you know, I like writing and I yep. like lectures and I like doing, but I also still have my boots on the ground classes and patients and students that I see because it's, it's where the richness of life is really happening. So, well, yeah, yeah. especially with patients in general, 
the yeah yeah grow well, from them absolutely I've learned so much and now being more the patient myself than I ever thought I would be this past year um it happens and it's humbling yep. it allows me it reminds me exactly what they're going through which it was a big a big eye opener gives from you how a perspective oh my gosh Pain puts things into so perspective much. and that perspective mm-hmm. gives us a purpose Purpose. I love it. I love it, Alex. That's great. So (laughs) now, yeah, that's, that's a big thing. That's, that's why, you know, I try to talk about it a ton because there are a lot of flaws in the medical system. Um, and I think they need to be communicated more because I think there's that negative kind of view around, Oh God, you know, let me get a second opinion or this is just the standard and and to make people accept it. The hopelessness. I think that, you know, people finding, whatever their footing is in the third dimension, whether they want to bake cakes, whether they want to get into grooming dogs, whether they want to get into gardening more or restructure cars, you know, whatever that is, you know, I think these hobbies and visceralness, getting the body moving in something that brings excitement. I just hope, I hope more people do it instead of the TikTok, which is fun too. <laughs> hey, look, I need, I need to work on that too for the podcast. So for advertising, um, <laughs> it's, it's important when it's used correctly. Um, and I say that cause I, I actually interviewed someone a couple days ago that has cerebral palsy and she's got a TikTok following of like 105,000 people and she does wow. advocacy around it. For her. She's 20. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like I have 86 followers. <laughs> Well, good for, and then, I mean, not, not to, you know, cause I do what I do at night, you know, sometimes, and I find it very relaxing and, and just intriguing to what humans are, you know, especially around the pandemic, it was really a lot of fun, but, um, I have ADHD, balance. so it's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's a danger. Like it feeds right into how my brain works. It's like, oh, here's a topic. Here's a completely different topic that you right, like. Here's right, another right. one. But we'll go back to the start. Like here's we'll the topic to the, again. Oh, geez. Like, oh wow, that's. Oh, I'm just like, oh god. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's a big mess. Um, and that's that's the priorities in the United States. The things that are socially acceptable and the things that are considered. Yeah. Oh, let's can't talk about that. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. Well, I feel like it's a good ending point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that well, I will say is, you know, if people I I do here I am. You can plug your books um, if you want to. I can plug my books. So yep. my name plug whatever you want. I well, at first I want to say that people who are maybe suffering with um just wanting to try out yoga or something, I do have a YouTube channel with my name and it's free. Mm-hmm the public. I did this during COVID. I was working with a group out of Austin and I decided to make it public. So there are 25 videos that if people are looking for, you know, um, anything from breath work to a gentle yoga class, to a chair yoga class, to restorative, to a regular yoga class, you know, check it out. It's free. Um, if not me, someone else, you know, um, you know, I, I'm a big advocate for meditation and yoga to help through the journey and that it's really accessible. I've done, I've done yoga with people in hospital beds, so it doesn't have to be what you see on the cover of yoga journal. And then um, of course, my poses. Book, yeah, my books are just sort of my journey and also my exploring of reality and the layers of reality, all different concepts there. Um, and they're under my name on Amazon. So if that's if any interest, but you know, it's been great to talk and I, if anyone wants to get in touch about anything I've said here I'm always happy I think what you're doing is great and it's a good reminder that 
um, just following what feels right for you, even if it's small or only what you can do, it has an impact if it's really connected to yourself. So, yeah. And what I'll do, I'll have you send me over all the links on Facebook as well. Um, oh, so That's I'll throw them in the actual episode notes. So if anybody's interested great. in that, they'll be in Absolutely. the description so you can click on it and make yeah. it easier. No, but I'm just excited to have this, this forum. Um, I think it's a great thing you're doing. I didn't even, you know, even I, some of the stuff we've talked about, I hadn't thought about in a while or was sort of like Solid feeling voice. down. And I'm like, no, you know, it starts with one person just sort of talking about it, connecting with others. We are going to move this forward. We are going to look at what they've done with Lyme. Yes. We can say what we want. You know, people can say it's it's all over the map, but look. they have moved the lot like to say this is not just my imagination this isn't this is an actual spiraling very bizarre bacteria um that gets in there like syphilis it's really intense and it it is going to take a lot of knowledge to figure out how to help the body heal from it if someone gets infected with it it's a real epidemic um finally nurses and doctors are getting infected so that is now also pushing the needle forward but right exactly there are now nurses and doctors going like okay this is real you know so what i learned in medical school wasn't the whole picture no no it takes a while a 10-year cycle 10-year cycle from learning about it to it actually being treated or or taken seriously it's true well i appreciate you coming on so much alex i appreciate your time it's a great evening as always, thank you for stopping by and listening to the episode. Make sure you guys head over to thebeardedadvocate.com to show your support. It's got all the links to all the other social media platforms, which I'm creating a ton of new content on that I'm sure you guys would love to watch and hopefully in the future be a part of. So thank you, as always, and have a good one.